0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. And sometimes, like today, we interview the people that are making them. I'm your host, Dallas.
1: I'm your other host, Anne.
0: And today, we are joined by Eisner Award-winning writer of Black Widow, Captain Marvel, It's Jeff, and West Coast Avengers, Kelly Thompson, and the immensely talented artist behind the comic books, Hinges, Heart in a Box, and Super Fun Sexy Times, Meredith McLaren, to talk about their brand new collaboration coming to the direct market through Image Comics this coming Wednesday, as you're listening, Black Cloak. How are you both doing? Good, good. Thank
2: you so much for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for letting us check out your book ahead of time. It was incredible. I had a lot of fun reading it today.
2: Oh, yeah. oh, I'm so glad. Did you guys, I guess I don't know what they sent you. Did you just read the Oversized Issue 1 or what did you read?
0: It was the first three issues. Three
2: issues. Oh, yeah. So you mm-hmm. got a lot. You got a big, you got a big chunk. You're, you're you are your homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That was a lot. Um, and I think you guys are about current with like the Substack people right now. So that's, that's awesome. I'm so glad you liked it.
0: That is awesome. I yeah. will say, thank you for making something so readable. Because when I saw it was 90 pages I'd been sent, I was like, I <laughs> overestimated. <laughs> I underestimated <laughs> what I had to read before this. So uh <laughs> we gotta go quick.
2: I'm glad. I'm glad I'm glad it went down pretty easy. I have to say, mm-hmm. I do think um nobody's ever um ask me this question directly but you've hinted enough at it that i'm just going to offer it that i think the number one thing that's helped me with my writing uh since i started i mean just doing a lot of writing helps you but if i was to call out like a specific thing i noticed it's that you know because of my job i have to do so much reading of other comics sometimes just for research or backup or whatever to see what's going on and um Some of it's really, really hard to get through. And I honestly think that just even unconsciously, I just am like, trim trim it down, trim it down. Do you need it? Do you need it? Let's get it out of here. (laughs) Because having to read a wall of text, I don't know. I'm never excited about it. Sometimes it's necessary, but I'm never excited about it. Let those images do what they can. I've got Meredith. I want to get out of her way as much as I can.
0: The day I read the pirate story in Watchmen is the day, you know, I've rolled over in my grade. I'm not going to do it. I don't care how much I like that comic.
1: When I start reading the data pages in X-Men and I'm like, oh, these are the best, then, yeah. (laughs) The data
2: pages, I'm very conflicted about the data pages, personally, because as a teenager or as a kid, or maybe even a young 20-something, I would have eaten that up. Oh, there's a puzzle and a decoder ring, and to figure it out, the secrets, I got to do it. I'm very old with a lot to do, so I don't have time for that. So I've only they, read absolutely critical data pages.
0: <laughs> they have very much sorted what kind of nerd I am, because I'll see a map of something, and I'll be like, oh, there's the next yeah. 30 minutes. But I'll see an email, and I'm like, I've read enough of these. I don't care that it's from a fictional person. I'm not doing like,
2: it. We, we all love maps, don't we? Uh, that was sort of that's a funny segue into black cloak which is that um the first uh issue starts with like a big world building exterior shot of the city mm-hmm. and you know the first script was pretty dense because there was a lot of world building we were doing and um you know i don't want to overwrite to meredith but i also don't want her to come away from it with a million questions so you, know, you sometimes go a little more than you need to and i mentioned somewhere in there that i'd drawn a map of the city if she needed it and so she texted me after she finished the script and she's like she's like hey yeah I'm gonna need that map right away and I'm like oh god she really wants to see the map <laughs> so I put the map on my Substack. if anyone's curious after reading this uh I it's I think it's a free post you can access it without a without a paid subscription but uh I, yeah I sent her the worst map anyone's ever seen The map a terrible writer or well hopefully an okay writer but a terrible artist draws <laughs> And that's exactly uh, she, what I need, Well, I was gonna say she was very nice about it and she got that amazing image out of it. So I mean, I think I'm great, right?
0: That's uh yeah. that's, that's... It's definitely a data page in there somewhere. You can just slide <laughs> it in. I it's important that you don't think about the pace of the comic at all when you do it though. Okay? you just arbitrarily <laughs> slide it in there between a scene, maybe. Who...
1: It's already 50 pages, <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh. I, I have to know now, how many drawings do you send Meredith? Meredith, how many has she sent you? I need to know. And are they as good as the map, or, you know, are they...
3: The map one, it was just the the sketch she sent me the first time, mm-hmm. and uh, the way she described it, I was sort of like, okay, th- I this is sort of a... <sighs> What's the, the city in Lord of the Rings? Oh, yeah, the, the
2: min- one... Um,
0: Minas Tirith? This-
3: yeah yeah
0: Yeah, you know the
2: top the elite at the top where all the sun shines and there's clear clean air and then you sort of the lower levels kind of thing i think ours theirs looks a bit more idyllic than ours um ours is pretty blade runnery so like on those bottom levels unless you're close to the lagoon or whatever you're not even getting light because it's all blocked out from the buildings that soar above you so and the mountain a little bit but um, but yeah, it was just really important that we were basically saying, I mean, we haven't said 100% that city is self-contained, but we've basically implied that all that's left of the world's population basically lives within the walls of that city. So it has mm-hmm. to be basically a self-sustaining. And this is both because of what might be out there lingering after they d- g- defeated the great e- evil, but also just so much world has been destroyed in the process of that fight. So this is like the best place left for them the last best place um and uh so it was really important we get it right and i think we because we were from the jump wanted to talk about sort of class issues uh you know and those hierarchies and how bad people have got it uh it 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 was important that the map was right and i think it did help but it's laughable when you look at (laughs) The sort of gorgeous work Meredith's doing you're like who drew that who did that <laughs> <laughs> how have they profane the world of black cloak <laughs> um but uh you know on the overwriting thing I have to say that I've sent sketch I've had to send sketches other times and it's always mm-hmm. a horribly embarrassing process because I went to art school so I can draw Just poorly enough to get myself in trouble. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) uh, I've never a single, I've plenty of times had to send something because we're just sort of, if I've got more of a high concept idea that someone's not sort of understanding, that happened with um, Bray Perez and I a a couple times with Rogue and Gambit because I had some weird ideas I wanted to pursue. But I don't think I've ever had to draw anything for Meredith. She's a very savvy comics maker like she's very good at storytelling and she doesn't need a lot of handholding so
3: only for you kelly
2: (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that's not true but i appreciate it
0: (laughs) so i guess my question for you meredith would be in your process from script looking at this map what goes into the world building of this for you because there's so many elements and every page is so rich i'd love to hear your process a little bit
3: um I definitely take real world uh, inspirations like the denser parts of uh, the city are are definitely inspired by like those wall cities in Hong Kong and um, as things get a little a little nicer but not quite the top tier you know you start looking at like Korea or Singapore and then I do sort of fall into that uh, the um, the highest class is like definitely Western-inspired. But I try to draw real-world uh, inspirations.
2: But I do think, in fairness to you, with the highest level having more Western inspiration, part of that, for us at least, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but at least my thinking was while that stuff looks nicer and better and is more taken care of it's also the old world it's the stuff it's the it's what came before and we've all sort of moved on but here are these old beautiful buildings and the upper class does not want to move on from that so or the royals at least so yeah so I, I do think that's a class issue like Meredith is maybe penalizing herself a little bit in the opposite direction I actually think it's a pretty good no, like, if that was what we were all aspiring to, but then there was no commentary on like, oh, hey, maybe the old way is not so great. Like, I, I think maybe it would be more of an issue. But I mean, I think that's a deliberate thing we're trying to do a little bit.
3: Yeah, and, and that is that does touch on the, the other part of it where it's like, I want, I really badly want this uh, environment to feel like it is existed through multiple iterations so you're gonna have some very old rundown buildings next to some very chic buildings
1: you know yeah
0: that's so interesting
1: very very cool and mine kind of just goes off that because um you pull real life inspirations for the um the setting and the city and the environment how about the um the characters in here because there are some really unique and beautiful character designs um and everyone has their own perfect silhouette. It's easy to follow who everyone is. And you get those little bits of fantasy and magic thrown in there in this modern setting. And I just wanted to know where's your inspiration for that come from?
3: Uh, Kelly gives me some really great prompts when it comes mm-hmm. to each of the characters and um, the script definitely fleshes them out in my head a lot. But um, also it was really important to me given the, uh, sort of the cultural slam dance that is happening that again I take from maybe uh cultural inspirations that don't get a lot of play in in our, our fantasy narratives mm-hmm. so like uh there's a sect of dracono we uh interact with who are definitely Bhutan inspired or you know uh sort of a russian leaning for um sash it's yeah i i try to to look outside of the normal toy box i
0: think i think
2: it's huge i think it's huge the way uh the way meredith Designs, you know, she said something to me when we first started talking about this project early on. One of her little hesitations was she likes like the Blade Runner esque sci fi elements of it, but like she just wanted to make sure she was not doing something that other people were already doing. And so mm-hmm. she was sort of looking around, you know, other people we know in the industry, like, what are they doing? And Honestly, like I took it seriously because I take anything Meredith says seriously, but I just think, well, not everything. Let's not be crazy, but (laughs) most things, Um, you know, she's a very savvy uh, creator, but I wasn't that worried about it. Like and I'm a worrier. So normally someone says that and I'm like, Oh crap. She knows about a lot of stuff that I haven't thought of. And you know, she's more aware, but I realized after the fact, part of the reason I wasn't so worried is because while Meredith might be drawing inspiration from similar and creating at a similar time, I just think she has a really specifically unique style of her own. And Anne said something about the silhouettes, which I think is really powerful. And I think it's one of the reasons that, I don't know why Meredith is drawn toward monster type characters, probably a lot of the same reasons all of us are. Um, But she, I think... Her style is atypical for what we see in fantasy or DD or whatever. It's much cleaner. It's much sharper. She, it, sometimes it's incredibly spare. Um, she does a lot with color and she relies on that a lot. She's very good with color. I don't think she realizes really maybe how good she is. But because of that, even if we weren't trying our best to create like really new combinations and ideas of things, which we are, I just think she naturally, she's sort of an outsider in a way that I love, in a way that I think benefits us and makes a better book. And uh, it's one of many reasons I wanted to partner with her on this.
3: You're um, always so nice to me, Kelly. <laughs> so i you. Always so flattered after these.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Meredith's very easy to work with. It's uh, I work with a lot of people. I I you know my my life is a lot of a lot of books at the same time, which means a lot of spinning plates, which means a lot of different relationships to maintain. And Meredith is one that I almost never worry about. It just really works. It's really, it's really easy. She's, you know, my, my ideal working relationship is I just want everyone doing their best, which sounds simple, but is actually really hard because it's hard to do your best all the time. And, you know, on a comic uh, it's only as great as its weakest link, right? So I want everyone playing at their top form. And I just feel like I don't even have to worry about that with Meredith, with Becca, you know, everyone's really cares about what they're doing and is trying to make the best thing they can make. I love that. It's comics. It's so great.
0: Yeah. I mean, you can feel the power of that collaboration on the page. You can feel how well you mesh together and how well you mesh all of these various genres and influences together i really liked in the press release we got for this there was a a quote from scott snyder he called this comic a stunning work of storytelling alchemy which i thought was spot on um yeah i i agree with them but i guess my question coming out of that would be where did the world and story of black cloak come from for you two like how did we get to this alchemy
2: so, you know, Meredith and I worked together a long time ago on my first real project, um, not hers, <laughs> Heart in a Box, um, although it was one of your bigger first things. Was it your first, like, ogn size thing, or did you, I can't remember.
3: I think it was the first thing I did with Dark
2: Horse. Oh, okay. That's what yeah. Oh, right, because you'd already, had... so you'd done all the Hopeless Savages stuff with Oni, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah i mean but, were still uh, doing it was it was that.
3: one of the first books i was really yeah. professionally on
2: yeah um, so it was my first thing for sure and um and that was my idea and my script but i cannot tell you how much meredith changed it and brought to us and to it and i've been wanting to work with her ever since we did a short gem run but you know meredith style isn't necessarily right for a long run of Captain Marvel. So, you know, I'm always looking for these opportunities for us to work together again. And this one came up with Substack and she was really my first call. And I'd been sitting on a project for a long time. This was originally called The Red, which I hate. I never liked, but now I'm in love with Black Cloak. So who (laughs) cares about The Red? Uh, So uh, I'd had the idea for a long time and it was basically... It, it it wasn't some giant opus it was just i want to put together the things i like the best detective procedural narrative detectives procedural narratives in sci-fi environments i like fantasy stories but i get very bored with they're sometimes kind of purple prosy or they all draw from the same sort of western influences and you just get elves, trolls, and the typical fairies that, like, I really wanted to play with things. I really wanted to mix it up. Like, like a dumb thing that I'm not saying this is like changes the world or anything. But you know, when I when we were making packs, a fairy, I was like, I think we should just really go against type for what we think of as Western readers when we think of a fairy. Like, let's go like more masculine, like, heavier set shorter stocky powerful like like let's just lean all the way into it and so it won't just be for him it's all fairies when we see them have this like sort of different body shape and and then you know if you just (laughs) all you have to do if you want some ideas is just troll through Meredith's Instagram I think I was telling someone the other day we put these things called death shards in there and that was just something she'd drawn on her Instagram I was like Hey, this 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 skeleton guy that's on fire, I was like, what about that guy? Like he <laughs> belongs in black cloak. And she was like, okay. And so, you know, it's um, I think that's a really good sign, like that you're just sort of on the same page in how you're creating. Um, you know, Meredith said she draws from a lot of references. Um, I sometimes send her random things like screeching baby owls and i was like let's use these like these are in here (laughs) she's like oh i love those things you know and so there's a lot of that stuff where i think we we just kind of do our own thing and then when we cross over it's just it happens very elegantly and so um i wanted to talk about class i wanted to talk about um doing the right thing in in the face of incredible odds that could destroy your whole world i wanted to talk about found families and making a new life for yourself when an old life gets rid of you i wanted to talk about all that sort of stuff and i knew meredith would be a great partner and like we could set it in a more exciting comic booky sort of world and like make hay out of it and um you know, it's really, it's really been ebbing and flowing as we go. I didn't nail down that one stuff as tightly as I always do. And that's been a little scary, but I actually think it's brought us a lot of things. Like you guys read to the, when they jump in the lagoon, right? That's Mm -hmm. the end of your issue three. And so that whole lagoon scene, like all of that, if I had just plotted that, I don't think any of that would happen. And it, and it became such an integral part of the story. And I'm so glad. And a lot of it was because even though Frail, who's the guy who gets killed in the beginning, you know, I realized as we were doing that, it, 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 even though I created the story and he's the high profile person who's killed, there were other bodies here that need needed to be addressed too. And it's exactly the kind of thing we see in the real world of, well, let's pay attention to, it's usually a blonde white woman, you know, and indigenous women, women of color, lower class women often are getting sort of swept under the rug. And so all those things just sort of came together really naturally for us to talk about. And I'm really happy with where we ended up.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. It sounds like your synergy has gotten even better from the first time that you've worked together, and that's- that's so cool to see.
2: I think so. Yeah. Also, it's a joy probably,
3: to work with Kelly.
2: <laughs> hopefully Meredith doesn't want to kill me over colors. The colors on Heart in a Box were really difficult. Like, no.
3: you remember. Kelly, I always learn something very, uh, exciting and new, as far as coloring goes, with Kelly um although the the problem with me in coloring too is like uh once i've done something right like i'm not entirely sure how to replicate it and so i'm like every every page is a is a new experiment
2: well you're <laughs> fooling a lot of people because yeah. i mean we have this scene in um five where or four, I don't know which one it is. You guys haven't read it yet. That's got like an indoor water feature. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, how's she gonna pull that off? It looks so good. It just looks like water in a living room. It's like it was she's nice so... to figure out, yeah, right? She's, but she's just so good at that stuff. It's always a joy to like watch it unfold, you know. Uh, my biggest problem with Meredith is she designs things, and then characters who were supposed to be small roles become stars, and it's a problem uh, Renna, I mean, it's not really a problem. I'm joking. Mm Renna has become, she's not a huge character in these first six issues, but I fell so in love with the design and the design made me change how I was writing her. And she just became this totally different character. And I think she's going to be a big deal going forward. Whereas she was really initially just sort of a mouthpiece for Dace because Dace's voice, you know, she's the other elf that's killed in the beginning Mm -hmm. and she was her voice was so lost and i was like we have to find a way to like let her speak and that became renna and it was and the design was so good on top of everything else that she just blossomed and that happens a lot i mean i she did a second pass on one of those kids from the the scene above the lagoon where the black cloak is uh, interviewing the kids and she did a second pass on that because i was like listen they all look great i was like but he's sort of supposed to be the leader and he looks the least cool and she's like okay i hear you and she went back and she turned in this like completely sci-fi thing i was like wait a minute i hate this kid he's a jerk now he looks so freaking (laughs) cool so yeah it's a problem (laughs) it's a good problem to have love
1: that love that so much
2: it's, it reminds me of, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, a couple of years back before Twitter seemed even crazier, uh, I did a tweet about um, something that, it was a Tigra drawing. I think Otto Schmidt did it, and it was just like mm-hmm. the, gorgeous, the most gorgeous little Tigra, and it made me want to write a whole story about her. And I was like, man, art as inspiration, can't be beat, man. Just gets right in your head about like what you want to see and gets your imagination firing about what it should be you know how to do it yeah well and that's
3: definitely something Mm -hmm. i keep in mind whenever i bring a character uh design to the table because it's like i really want them to feel like outside of this story they live their own life you know Mm -hmm. and uh, and that way
2: can i ask a question (laughs) of you Meredith? sure how much of it is, like, you do or don't want to keep drawing something again and again? Like, <laughs> I'll be bored by this, or if I don't make this interesting, it's boring. Is that a factor at all, or at this point, you're just...
3: I mean, as far as characters go, like, not terribly. Like, the only time where I've sort of, like, eh, is whenever tattoos are involved, but I, yeah. I I'm sort of like, no, this is a futuristic city. I need it's some going forward, I'm definitely gonna try and uh incorporate more body mod stuff because I feel like I've been sort of slacking there. But uh and it's it's very fertile uh visuals to draw from. So for
2: sure, for sure. Well, I'm definitely not opposed to us seeing more of that, but I understand, like, it's exhausting. And, you know, we. I think you and I even talked about the tattoos like because we talked because there are tattoos and heart in a box too and i know you were initially excited about them and then initially you were and then eventually you were like uh oh, these are my nightmare these are my <laughs> these are the anvil i drag through the ocean or something crazy i, but, I, I so was I so think,
3: new and uh <laughs> yeah, i didn't yeah. know how to do tattoos yet but i learned a lot doing that book so.
2: but i think we because of that i was aware that i think we, i think i recall we talked about that and me being like listen it's important for the story but we don't have to make it something it doesn't have to be something crazy and also Essex is going to be covered up all the time so we don't have to see it all the time you know like we don't have to put it on display but it works story-wise it works
0: I like that touching a little bit on the story um I also love like detective procedurals. I know, Kelly, you're a big fan of The Expanse. That was one of my favorite parts of that first book, Leviathan Wakes. So I guess my question for you is how do you approach a detective procedural story in 2022 and 2021? Like, it feels like something that you have to walk a certain line on. And I was just curious your process on it.
2: Do you mean because of, like, politically, like, the way things are now?
0: Yeah, like, there are people that will, like...
2: Even though I like detectives?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, basically.
2: Well, I think part of it... I mean, I think we've definitely tried to... uh, There were actually a lot of changes in this respect. I mean, so much that I can't even detail them, because when I had the idea for this initially, I felt completely different about the cops than I do in 2022 um and i think that's a big deal um and so the tone of it definitely changed like there was an element to the old story that was actually a lot about the mystery of how the black cloaks came to be and like what their origin was and all that stuff and i'm not opposed to telling that story although it would be different than it is now but i just realized i didn't want to tell a story about cops I wanted to tell a story about two detectives who are trying to do the right thing in a world that doesn't really understand law and order yet as like a concept. And, you know, obviously that can't mean, you know, no one's going to come along to buy the passport, to read a lot of expositiony pages with people soapboxing about political things. And especially the way the world is right now, I want to keep, the literal politics out of it as much as possible but i aim for the metaphor of it all right like let's just deal with these characters in this world and we can see the parallels to what's going wrong in ours and like let's let's let that be a strength and just i don't want to i don't want to be soapboxy about it i i shudder to compare anything i have ever done including black cloak to andor because i think it's about as perfect as you get. but one of the things about that that's so powerful to me is I mean they're 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 just talking literally about what's happening to all of us now, but it's just in a sci-fi environment and it makes it so powerful to look at you know the things that are happening, especially when you get to things like those prison scenes. I mean, this isn't a huge spoiler. For people who haven't seen it but there's a character that gets arrested at one point and it's supposed to be a six month sentence and they're like oh change is six years like no due process no anything it's terrifying and your head spins and you want to you want to yell at the tv and be like what the hell but that shit is happening i mean we're not quite there yet but that's the road we're on if we can't handle some of these things so I think the what Andor's doing, talking about these big, heady issues that affect us all and just doing it in a sci-fi context, I mean, that's certainly the direction we aspire to. Uh, can we be Andor? Uh, no, we're, we're just we're just <laughs> two ladies in a room making a comic book. But, uh, you know, that's that's the that's where you're pointing for sure is to do something like that. I think uh, Meredith correctly said the other day, Arcane is something we both really like, and mm-hmm. I think has a lot of similarities with the kind of stories we're trying to tell in a sort of fantasy world. Um, we're playing more with magic and engineering, although their engineering stuff is you know, so incredible what they do there, and, and how they're fighting a similar battle, just a different way, in a different way. Um,
0: yeah. I, was a I lot think...
2: of words. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I I
0: liked it a lot. It reminds me a lot of my thoughts surrounding the different scene, like the movie Blade Runner, which I really love. I love the aesthetic of, but then why the book? Do androids dream of electric sheep? Is one of my favorite books of all time. In yeah. a way that the movie is not. The movie yeah. it's got rule of cool all over the place, right? Like yeah. every scene of that movie is immaculate. <laughs> but there are questions that are asked by the book about what it means to be human that i feel yes. like are only yes. hinted at in the film yes. Yes. and so sci-fi transcends really cool aesthetics and cool worlds we like to live into something deep and impactful when it can talk about the human experience and where like yes. you said you can touch on aspects of what are going on in a way that won't immediately turn off half of your audience either I way. I hope so. You
2: know? I hope so. And I, listen, I'm happy to, to I'm happy to to bring some people over if they can see what we're talking about or whatever. I think, you know, it's very hard. We're in a very politically charged time where at least in the United States, you know, it feels like there are very few people sitting in the middle ground anymore. It feels like a hard line's been drawn and, you know, everyone's sort of already picked their side of it. And I I don't think anybody's wildly happy about that, but here's where we are. And I don't know what's next, but it is definitely a time for reading sci-fi. You know, you, it doesn't have to be Black Cloak if you don't want it to be, but, you know, as someone who's been burying her head in um, Octavia Butler books recently, you know, I mean, they're just, sci-fi books are just so, predictive you know they're they tell such important lessons for what's coming you know um i think (laughs) i also read just i'll mention it because you said the thing about do androids dream of electric sheep is that clara and the sun by Ishiguru, the guy who wrote never let me go he's got a ton of books and a ton of warts i love never let me go i heard about clara and the sun i was like oh that sounds like that's for me and it's like an incredibly simple book you know he's a beautiful beautiful sort of subtle writer um but he just makes these devastating points and Claire and the Sun is basically just about an android living in a world and they're they're basically they're designed as like friends for children it's a robot friend but so they look like kids like 14 years old or something and it's just about like whether she has a soul or not i mean it's sort of the theme and it's incredibly ponderous and insightful and sort of terrifying about our future you know and um i think all really good sci-fi makes you feel that way right um yeah hopeful but worried you know (laughs) like how do we how do we prevent this from becoming real from becoming who we are
0: and i I think that fiction does change minds, right? Like, I I think about Absolutely. me. I I grew up in Utah, and like I grew up conservative in Utah, very can religious. Did we, we talk about
2: this before? I grew up in Utah too.
0: I think we've touched on it before. It's mm-hmm. it's a special shared trauma. It for is sure. a special <laughs> shared thing. I didn't grow up conservative,
2: but I did grow up in Utah. So that
0: I feel like even you've got stuff I don't <laughs> yeah. know
1: of. But... Meredith, did you grow up in Ohio? just just pitching that out there just oh,
3: no, oh
1: I grew well up in Arizona. Oh, there we go there goes the synergy. it's out the window okay <laughs> no longer balanced
0: i just i think about how much of a window to a world i didn't get to see fiction became in 100%. growing up like i i think about my favorite comic of all time saga being the first exposure i had in my entire life to the idea of like a trans person right wow. and whether or not that was handled perfectly. What it became is something that was really mm. special to me and just lit a spark that was like, oh, there are people that have lives completely different than mine that yeah. are good, kind people in a way that, like, I didn't always hear growing up in conservative circles. In, in, Utah, I actually, you know?
2: I actually, uh, in this completely serves my own narrative, so I'm very biased in this opinion, <laughs> but. I'm a big fan of people who have a sort of later in light in life sort of revelation. Um, so when I was 26, I discovered Charles Bukowski and I'm sure it would shock many people that I think Charles Bukowski is a beautiful writer. He's definitely of a time, very aggressive style. It's a very paired back somewhat offensive style sometimes depending on which book you're reading and it's not so much that charles bukowski changed me it's more that Realizing I didn't know shit at 26, that I'd never even heard of Charles Bukowski. So it was really the event of discovering a thing that changed my mind about so many things and that made me think about so many things in a different way. And that discovering Charles Bukowski was just one step of many, many, many steps I took towards discovering a larger world, challenging my own self. And that happened after college. So I've always said, I'd be the first one to say on a job interview, I know people always say they're a quick learner. I'm not a quick learner. I'm a slow learner. I'm a little bit cautious. I don't want to make mistakes. I want to get things right. And that makes me a certain way. That's not great for some things, but it's also really great for other things. And I do think if you're someone who has an experience like that when you're old enough to really market of, oh, I didn't know all of this before and now I do and what does that mean about what I also still don't know I better get to work on that and it changed me it changed me for my whole life it's one of the formative moments of my life and it's not really about Charles Bukowski it's about me and like learning about myself and I always find people who had sort of strange or stilted or weird childhoods or grew up in Mormonism or Utah or whatever I, I find a lot of those people who are more like me or more progressive or liberal or open-minded or have moved other places a lot of them have a moment like you had with saga or you know any number of people have where it just you realize something profound about yourself even if it's seems like really simple like hey I don't know shit
1: <laughs> uh, yeah it was a big deal for me
0: absolutely and i think just going back to what you were saying about and or sometimes you can trojan horse that stuff into something that people yeah. won't realize like how many people are going to yeah. sit down to watch orange is the new black as fun as that is that nowhere close to what was it down to watch the new star wars show you know yeah and like you help yeah. other people realize those things for themselves yeah so it's cool i like the blend of sci-fi and fiction i or sci-fi and fantasy i think it's a great way to touch on not only the world but different experiences and different ways that people live that you can get at with fantasy in a way that sometimes Yeah. You can I like, I don't want to
2: be I don't want to be hard on fantasy. I feel like I'm praying to the sci-fi gods so much and I feel like I'm dismissing <laughs> fantasy. I think there's so much great fantasy stuff, but I do think I relate to it less. But I do think there's a little bit in black cloak but that's a plea for. Fantasy can be anything. Let it be whatever it wants. Like, we don't have to pigeonhole it. It can, We can mix it up with sci-fi and detectives and whatever else we want. Like, let's do it, you know? Because people always react. They're like, oh, it's fantasy or it's sci-fi. I'm like, yeah, it's both. Like, why do we gotta try to separate it? Let it grow into its own weird thing, you know?
0: Absolutely. And really,
2: like, we, we do get hung up on this idea of, like, creatures and magic is fantasy and sci-fi is, like space and laser guns but didn't star wars already like sort of (laughs) redefine all of that 50 years ago anyway right i mean nearly 50 years ago now because you know sure the way that they view creatures are that they're aliens from other planets but is that really so what are we talking about here like it's it's
3: it's definitely subjective i remember i know growing up i was convinced I had seen it the whole way through, but I was convinced that Willow was a sci-fi movie. <laughs> and I'm just like, no, no, the the monsters and everything, this is this is another world. I'm like <laughs>
2: so it's it's very subjective. It's awesome. I like that. I like that take on
1: Willow.
0: That raises the question for me, are the Muppets <laughs> sci-fi then? So if Jim Henson is sci-fi, um, is a Muppet Christmas Carol yeah. sci-fi?
1: Clearly. Gonzo's an alien. That's true. Yes, it is. It that's is
2: right. true. A spaceship. I forgot about the spaceship and space pigs.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, Muppets in so space weird. was was my Muppet movie growing <laughs> up. So, yeah, that explains a lot. But I
2: always like the one with the where animal ends up with the three hot chicks in
1: black. Oh my pies. gosh!
2: What is that M- Muppets? I don't <gasps> know which one that is.
1: Anyway, sorry. I don't know. Everyone that isn't in space or Christmas Carol just kind of blends together for me, so <laughs> I'm just completely unhelpful. But just talking about, like, the magic and sci-fi elements of it, I'm just curious, what's it like for both of you to, to blend those together, and where do you find the lines? Because I know, like, just developing your own magic system and the, the logic behind that can be difficult in its own, like, how far it can go, and making sure that when you design it, it looks unique enough and special enough that actually it draws people's eyes to it. And you're like, well, this is something pretty neat. How, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm asking it the right way, but how do you go about finding that perfect balance between sci-fi and fantasy?
3: I give all the credit to Kelly on this because it's like every time I turn something in, I'm like, I don't know if this is enough or it's too much. Or, and I definitely come from the, uh, where she's more sci-fi, I definitely feel like my background's more fantasy. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, she'll she'll come back to me and go, Needs needs more, more uh, neon. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs>
2: well, I do think on the magic, I feel like we were in a little bit of trouble until Meredith designed that gold effect that happens. Like, you see it when she fires the gun, which implies that the gun is magic-based, not technology. You mm-hmm. see it when she goes to the trees, and it's got that big magical lit up sign and it's like non-flyers, you know, with caution beyond this point. Like um, I feel like when she nailed that and we, and we really express it when we see Essex get healed and we meet her friend Valerie and you see a little bit more of that stuff. But one of the, one of the core conceits of that nobody is talking about of black cloak is magic versus technology and magic has sort of won. It rules the day. Mm -hmm. And is that because elves are in charge? Like if elves aren't in charge, if humans are in charge, does it become something else? Like, so that's why when you're seeing like, you know, you see the Kuros three at one point, they come in in the story and they're like these very powerful humans who are like, maybe trying to influence her or and you're not sure what's going on i mean that's all the underpinnings of this stuff you know that's the stuff that we don't want to talk about and point to directly because our we just have two detectives trying to solve the case so we need to stay focused on that but all of that stuff that's in there is there for a reason and it's all going to pay off in a very big way by the end of this this six issue arc which is <laughs> to say you know, magic and technology being pitted against one another is a pretty dangerous situation and both of them have advantages and disadvantages, which will be very obvious (laughs) by the time we get to the end here. Um, But I do think until Meredith really hit upon using that golden signature for it, I felt like it was getting a little lost and I did push her on it. Uh, I pushed both of us with ideas and thinking about how we could do it, because it was really important to me that visually it landed. Because I knew we weren't going to be able to talk about, it. we weren't going to be able to have big asides about, you know, it has to be stuff where it's just like, oh, a brownout is in process. To which then a reader goes, oh, why do they need a brownout? Like, is there there's a power issue here? Like what? Like so, we just want those little hints in there because that's not what the story should be about but Mm -hmm. it's all really important stuff for your building and so i mean that's why meredith is such a genius because she has been able to build this correctly so that i don't have to over explain every little thing it's hopefully just you know sort of like you got crash landed into this city and now you're just going through it and trying to figure out how it all fits together i hope i hope that's how it's working for readers
0: I think it's succeeding. I could mm-hmm. not stop like puzzling about this place <laughs> as I was reading. I was very swept up in the narrative, but I kept returning back to how interesting this world was. And I think that oh, balance exciting. is just right.
2: Well, and well that's this,
3: exciting. Yeah. And something that I really love about Black Quote that I think Kelly's uh, really beautifully seated is that you really get the sense that if you just shifted perspective over by one character, you'd be getting a completely different story.
0: That is really cool. I think, that's
2: very, I think that's very true. And I hope that if Meredith and I are successful with this, I hope that that will lead to how many stories we can tell. Um You know, we called it Black Cloak, so it's probably always going to have a procedural or a detective element to it in some way. Mm -hmm. Maybe that means it always has Essex or Pax related, but it is true that you could tell so many different stories just through this world we've built. I mean, but predating me bringing this idea to Meredith, we had been talking about doing a siren thing based on one of her drawings that i love and fixated on i like have it on my computer and like as background on some things it's amazing look at her look at her laughing Um, (laughs) (laughs) i'm so tickled um and now, I mean, I think we're in agreement, like we would just do that as a Black Cloak story and you would just maybe it would have nobody in it. That's that's in the other volume. Like, you know, it's oh, so many all we would have to from-
3: do is is put a little title above yeah. the actual title that says from the world of Black Cloak. Yeah. yeah. And we'll be set. We can do anything then.
2: Yeah. And that feels awesome. That feels awesome but obviously we need a certain amount of success people gotta people gotta be into it for it to you know Mm -hmm. have legs so we'll see we'll see where we can get
0: absolutely is the plan at this point to wrap this story with sx around the six issue mark or do you know what kind of runway you have on this
2: well i i think that's still a little bit of a question mark and i know people don't like to hear that because they want to know something's ongoing or whatever but I think we have to approach it in a little bit more of like saga bites, um, mm-hmm. where we'll need a hiatus between them. I mean, I think the Substack was incredibly helpful in us getting our start. We wouldn't have been able to fund this book without that. But that portion of that is over. So the book sort of has to be able to stand now and make itself sustainable in order to keep going. That's a question for us, that's a question for Image, that's a question for the fans. And I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we'll see how our FOC numbers look for number one and how that's going. I definitely want to do more. Meredith has a lot on her plate that's her own personal do stuff, but <laughs> I, <definitely laughs> I I've tricked do. her I've tricked her into wanting to do more. We got her. Everyone <laughs> sign, send a contract over and have her sign it. No. Um, so I, we're playing it a little close right now because, and we also have a couple, you know, we have a couple ideas that are also sort of atypical, like not where you'd expect issue seven or the new issue one or whatever. Like I said, the siren thing, we had another thing we were talking about that was that I won't mention specifics on. But like there are a lot of different ways to do this. This Essex story and this case and sort of the immediate fate of Kiros gets wrapped up by issue six, yes. And then where they're going to go is going to get hinted in those last pages. But I think we're still... Basing that on how do things look like how much more do we want to bite off? So uh, it's a, still a question mark, but I think the ending is. The ending is a big deal that raises a lot of new possibilities.
0: Well, I'm intrigued. Uh, I am not above <laughs> guilting our listeners. You all better get out and buy this because I want more of it.
1: Please. I will I'll guilt anyone and everyone. I'll guilt my own mother if I have to. (laughs) Appreciate
0: that. Yeah, you want to see me at home for the holidays? I've got a very specific stipulation.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Everyone on the Christmas gift list needs to get black cloak. Oh, by the way, it doesn't come out until January.
3: Just an IOU.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I want you to send your relatives to figure out the direct market. Have them go and ask about... An order oh, cut off God. and pre ordering a comic at a comic shop. That's what your so grandma needs much. to be doing in December.
2: Thanks so much. You have to love comics so much to play in it. It's so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. We make it so difficult.
0: I love every holiday season. Every relative that likes me, even a little bit, is like, can I get you anything else? Like, I, <laughs> anything. Like, our, we can pop in price. My,
2: my partner and I, our wish lists are pretty much always filled with books. And let me tell you what. You think people would like buying books? They don't like it. They don't. they don't, and they don't like doing it from a list, especially. Which I get it; that's less exciting. But like, how are they going to pick for me? We spend three hundred and forty days of the year apart, and I don't tell you everything I read. How are you possibly going to know what I'm, what I need to read? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was see, like, I'm doing you a favor. You give
3: them, at least <laughs> you give them the grace period of waiting until Christmas to see if they actually like follow through, like people in my family they'll give you a list of things they want and then they will buy it for themselves <laughs> yeah like, oh i saw it on sale so i bought it i was like god
2: I damn it i will say i had a great gift for my list this year and it sold out immediately before <laughs> i even got the thing over and then i saw it came back in stock and i was like oh take it off the list i just buy it myself we can't we can't risk this kind of a gift so
1: (laughs) there's too much at stake yeah
2: yeah Yeah. it's just a blanket so i don't don't (laughs) know why i'm so upset but just had to have that apparently
0: (laughs) i love that well i don't want to keep you for too much longer Mm -hmm. this has been a ton of fun do you have any last things you want to say about black cloak or any plugs that you have before we wrap up
1: meredith
3: uh Please, please pick up Black Cloak. It. I tried really hard. <laughs> so, it'd be really nice if people liked it.
2: I will say, let's do this plug. Let's be official. It's a really good dollar value, $4.99 for the first issue. And you get, like, it's like 52 pages of story, something like that. It's more than 50 pages of story. It's meaty. So, so like, it's a big, heavy issue. I'm sure you guys read digital because the prints aren't out yet. But Mm -hmm. I just the other day got to hold Chroma from Image, which I don't know if you guys have read that, but it's really beautiful. And that's the same size. And it felt so great in my hands. So I'm pumped. I'm super excited. And now we've got, like, 10 variant covers for reasons that i promise make sense even though <laughs> they're annoying
1: <laughs> that's so cool who's doing the variants
2: so let's see meredith is doing she did a, a 1 in 25 variant that just got uh-huh. released today they showed mm-hmm. up on adventures in poor, poor taste um And then she's also doing a Super Secret Founders variant that's only available to people who backed the Kickstarter. And we haven't showed that off yet, but it's super cute. Mattia de did a gorgeous one inspired by some of Meredith's visuals. That one just released on Adventures in Portes today too. I think that's a one in 10. They'll be revealing another one that's a one in 50, I think later this week. But the others that are already released, there's a gorgeous Jeff Deacle. There's a really super neon Christian Ward.
1: Okay. A
2: gorgeous Tula Latte mermaids and a Tula Latte uh, mm-hmm. clean dress mermaids one.
1: Need them both. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. And then, so it's four plus Marinus main cover plus one, two, three. What am I going to say? I think I'm missing one. Oh, There's Peach a- Momoko. Peach Momoko. Adorable. are oh,
3: you keeping oranges. all this straight? Oh, my God.
2: Uh, and and i was doing this for three books meredith and now you know why my head is exploding (laughs) (laughs) oh uh yeah we were only supposed to have um seven or six plus Meredith super secret thing but um sometimes making comics is hard and mistakes are made and then you hurry have to go to your very talented friends and ask them to give you three more covers and so here we are 10 covers (laughs) (laughs) Let's do this.
1: Awesome, <laughs> but they're all
3: beautiful. So,
2: uh, people who go into shops also and who don't just buy digitally, please keep your eyes out because I know Image sent out really great black cloak posters that shops will be hanging up. Um, <laughs> um, we're double sided with uh, the new Ken Nomura Joe Kelly book that um, Sergeant okay. Immortal. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I was so excited that the poster was double-sided because I was like, oh, cool, they can put it in the window, and then you don't have to choose, right? Except for ours is vertical, and theirs is horizontal.
0: <laughs> Outstanding.
2: <laughs> <Image>. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? Because we totally could have changed our image if that was necessary. Anyway, it's hilarious. So it's just- Yeah, if you if you see a really cool Ken Nomura, Joe <laughs> Kelly... Uh, Sergeant Immortal poster in your local comic shop, know that we're on the other side of there! <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, they could always just hang it up at an angle in the window. That way no one wins, but you both kind of do. Call so compromise. There you go. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's the American way. No one really wins.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we will also be... I'm sending out a whole sort of retailers package thing. so hopefully some comic shops especially if you have some good ones around you they might have stickers or postcards or some little 11 by 17 prints so you can always ask your shop if they got one or if they've heard about it you know so uh, tell everyone you know
0: fantastic mm-hmm. yeah i just like to reiterate uh this book is fantastic that first issue is huge but in like pleasant way you're reading you're like there's more of this this is awesome Oh yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) and if you like the comics we usually cover on this show this is absolutely something to check out and when you're listening to it this episode this book is coming out the following wednesday so go out in two days to pick up the book based off of our glowing recommendation (laughs) all right well Thank you everybody for joining us for another episode of the comics collective. Bye. Bye.
2: Bye. Thank
0: you
3: for having us.